Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at Show at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and NBs. It is Waroi Desho Stream of Thought. We are here descended from Mount Copro to bring you all French toast from heaven and discuss <laughs> Darling in the Franks. I as usual, and the subtle doctor. That hasn't changed. And what else hasn't changed is that I'm joined by my podcast partner and friend and interpersonal relationship guru, Shadan. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I've not yet been certified in that, folks. So please don't, you know, come to me with any requests or any questions for advice. I, I can barely handle my own relationship, never mind anyone else. Ah, oh, dear. So, yes, we're here today, friends and lovers, to steal a line from <laughs> Jim Sterling, to talk about episode 11, Partner Shuffle. This episode was directed by Takahiro Shikama. And this is the first time for both uh, the director and the writer of this episode for them to be involved with the project. And the director, it turns out, has been mostly a key animator, has done, you know, got a ton of of key animating for all kinds of different shows, Gundam 00, Rolling Girls, Sacred 7, those vast, like... (laughs) That's like a the entire quality spectrum, by the way, just listed. Um, mm. This person was a storyboarder for parts of uh, Sword Art Online, uh, the first, second season, and the Ordinal Scale movie. And also uh, Terror in Resonance uh, storyboarded and, animate, and was an animation director for episode seven of that, in addition to being a key animator. So we have mostly an animator here. Uh, in the director's chair. Uh, writer Hiroshi Seko has uh, an interesting CV. Um, oh dear. Don't, when, you put it, when you put it like that, like, it's he's going to have a lot of really good stuff, I reckon. I'm putting the bet out here. He's, a lot of his stuff's going to be really good. 
And then there's going to be that one thing, that one black mark that blemishes his entire thing. Am I, am I close, do you reckon? Uh, I mean, sort of. I guess it's, um, it's just odd. I don't know. It just struck me as odd, right? I mean, they have uh, trigger experience from working on uh, this person wrote the script for the fifth episode of Kill a Kill. So there's that. Mm-hmm. They wrote the script for Cabinary of the Iron Fortress, a show that I really liked, but I know isn't universally ah, yeah. beloved. And so, of course, because they wrote the script for Cabinary, they were also the uh, script writer for a number of episodes of Attack on Titan. Uh, those. <laughs> oh, oh, oh yeah. my favorite, my favorite, you know anime that doesn't do anything or isn't about anything oh boy yeah i went there oh boy. <laughs> i those comments are not the official opinions of warui desho <laughs> should not be taken as such no come on <laughs> come at me come at me folks honestly like i i watched this act on titan and i thought well that was a great silent movie for all 26 episodes <laughs> but i just really got bored very quickly of the character traits which never seemed to change much like erin jaeger first off like how obvious a name can you pick? <laughs> I just... He's a, he's a hunter, would you think? We don't need to go down this road. But... <laughs> no, let, let, let's, let's not. Let's uh... not. I've got enough to say about the existing episode rather than this writer's previous works, but now that I know some of his history, I'm actually... You know, it's a bit, all a bit clearer to me how some things went wrong in well, this episode, well, look, to be honest. I mean, this person also was the head writer for Mob Psycho 100. Um, which oh, was an adapt, which is an adaptation, but you know, it was. It was... You did that deliberately. <laughs> you you baited me. You baited yep, me to say something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is your your kick is extended out, and you're wide open for a for a DP in the knee. Bodied. <laughs> They're also the head writer for both seasons of Seraph of the End, which is a show that I didn't watch and looked particularly what's pulpy. I think is the right word, but I I have no opinion on mm-hmm. that one. Uh, they're also the head writer for Ajin, which is uh, a two season show that like Netflix uh, picked up. It's um it might be of particular interest to you because it is a modern three D CG show, and Ooh. I believe it's Polygon Pictures work. Let me check on that to be certain though. Yep, I was right. Ding. Yeah, ding. Uh, survey says ding. If you like, I, if you like this person's work, which is a little all over the place, but um, this really interested me. I know a lot of people are looking forward to the new adaptation of the Banana Fish manga. That's very like, I wouldn't say it's very popular in terms of the number of people that like it, but the people that like it really, really like it. You know, because of uh, the queer elements, I think, in, in no small part. And so that is a show that is coming out, I believe, this year. Mm-hmm. And so this person is the head writer on it that wrote this episode of Frank's. No idea, to be honest with you, how, how that bodes uh, for Banana Fish. They're just kind of thrown in in the middle of this and just like write an episode of their show so <laughs> yeah a, a show that's had a questionable approach to queer you know identity and relationships and depiction often seemingly whitewashing out of existence and now this writer is getting involved in the adaptation of a beloved manga filled with queer elements 
Hmm. The skeptical arm in me is tingling a little bit. I think it might be a little strong to say it whitewashes it out of existence, but it certainly is not uh, friendly to it, to queerness. I mean, I, I think it the show is heavily signaling Ikuno as a gay character, and whether or not that translates to, you know, those feelings being applicable to piloting a robot, I think the feelings are there. And so mm-hmm. I think we need to, like, separate characters sexuality and preferences orientation that kind of thing from what the franks needs and what the franks uh, prefers i guess in its operation because i think you could also make claims about mitsuru oh definitely at least bisexual Mm -hmm. so so yeah i mean it's in some ways it might be worse because it feels like it might be a little bit like it, it it's it it feels like si- like promoting the silencing of those feelings and voices and it's certainly like the they're not as good as this other kind of way of being because if you're hetero that's that's the way the franks roll i don't know blah blah rambling but but it's yeah it's certainly like i i think you're right to raise questions uh about mm-hmm. about this it's a really interesting part of the show, and it gets explicitly brought up now in a very weird sort of way, but we'll get to that. Yeah, huh? All right, so let's let's run down the episode. It begins with a dream, just like last episode, and Mitsuru is dreaming of a flashback of his childhood memories he shared with Hiro, in which... He wanted to pilot a Franks with him, and he wanted to do everything with him, and he wanted his acknowledgement, his companionship. He he loved and adored Hero. You know what made me laugh during this scene? What's that? Uh, Hero steps up and announces to the group of kids that he has been chosen to represent them. I kn- yeah. Yeah, what was that about? I wonder. I was laughing because I thought, <laughs> you could not have picked a worse person imaginable. Like... <laughs> Everything, every bit of evidence we've seen so far suggests that he's, you know, he's not a good person. Although, although I do have a theory based on something we see at the end that suggests that maybe none of this is actually his fault. I just thought, this is the chuckle that we've seen throughout all these episodes so far, and the adults picked him as a kid. Like, none <laughs> of these kids have a bright future now. They're all done for. I wouldn't have Hero leading a group of Boy Scouts into the forest. <laughs> Only he would return. The rest of it would be eaten by bears or wolves or something. Yeah. Yeah, that would be not good to have Hero as a scout troop leader. Let's not wish that alternative reality into existence, please. So <laughs> while Mitsuru is dreaming and seeing these images of uh, his child self, sort of his current self is talking over the dream and saying, no, don't. Don't look at him that way. Like, he's a traitor, which I thought was an interesting word choice. And then he wakes up in a cold sweat, of course. And that's when he starts his inner monologue. Uh, Once again, just like the last episode, begins and ends with some inner monologue. We've been doing past uh, two of them as well, actually, with Goro and Sara. Oh, right. So there was inner monologue there with Goro. That's correct. It did not begin with a dream, but, but for sure you get that, like, big old tip 
the giant flag that says like this episode is from this character's perspective we've got to get it all out of the way we've not done any character development this... individually before <laughs> so we're just trying to compartmentalize them together this you know we talked about the show and compared it to lost this is such a lost way of doing things in terms of like every character gets like an episode to do backstories and some of the important ones even get two but it, yeah it felt very compartmentalized like oh this is the this is the lock episode or this is the episode of the season where we get to see Sawyer flashbacks and see into his story or whatever. But anyway, Mitsuru says, like, sort of tells you the thing that you probably already know. Like, I feel like the most tropiest things he could say, like, I'm so cold because I want to avoid being hurt. You know, I push other people away so they don't wound me because once I was wounded deep in my heart. If you had a really Marvel guitar track set, you could make like a really, you know, good quote-unquote emo music album from the early 2000s. Like, it really just feel like <laughs> lyrics from something like My Chemical Romance. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, a trope because it's, I guess, true for a lot of people, but it was just not very eloquently or subtly delivered. There's, there's ways of like <laughs> of smuggling in like trite things and making them feel not trite and this was not that <laughs> this is just mm-hmm. him expositing like the character concept sheet yeah pretty much it's like he's reading off just you know the bullet points for who he is as opposed to anything truly organic indeed what i have to bring this up i because this show in so many ways is determined to prove it doesn't have much subtlety left in it anymore it did in the past, like with episode 5, but this just made me chuckle because I couldn't believe it when I saw it. So, Mitsuru wakes up, and they're of course in the boys' dorm, and Zorame and Futoshi are there, and Futoshi's climbing down for his bunk. He has a loaf of bread in his hand! Oh, God. Why? What, was he, what, did he go to sleep with it? <laughs> Is that his Dakimura? <laughs> it's not real bread, it's just a pillow. <laughs> pillow bread. <laughs> Oh, Do-chan, you're God. the only one who can send me to sleep. Like, Do-chan, I, keep, I just, like, Futoshi does actually get character undevelopment this episode. Like, he dials back something fierce in a kind of dislikable manner. But up until this point, his one defining attribute, as I've said before, was the fact that he likes to eat. And I never thought they would double down so hard as to actually li- have him wake up one morning and just take a loaf of bread from his outside his book. Like, what the fuck? I t- I don't get it. Oh, it's so just dumb. They're really pushing that hard. Like, and when they were in the circle later, like on the the sofa, he's just eating a bun. I'm like, did they do this before? Is he just always eating now, or did I just miss it earlier? I actually reckon that if you went back and like, you know, counted the or made a ratio of the amount of time he spends eating versus <laughs> not, it's in favor of eating. Probably, probably. I I'm just. I I don't get it. Is it meant to be funny? Are we meant to mock the fat kid? I mean, I, we can I we, we can certainly mock him in this episode for a variety of behaviors he puts on. Yeah. But is it is it literally just meant to be l- laugh at the fat kid because he's, you know, eating all the time because that's for I'm like Yeah, this, it's funny that you say like undevelopment because in the beginning of my notes of like, oh, some screen time for Frutoshi and Kokoro. And at the end, I'm like, I just wished that they hadn't given Futoshi all that screen time. (laughs) I mean, it. it, I I think in service of understanding Kokoro, it was good, and I appreciated it. But um, 
yeah, I kind of ended this episode and he is like near the top of my like just unlikability list, Futoshi. But we'll get the there. Shit list. We'll get there. Yeah. So after the opening, uh Ichigo's giving a report and says that they killed twenty five Klaxosaurs, and I was like, What? What that's that's more than you've killed on screen. That's like three times as many as you've killed on screen. Why aren't they showing this shit? And they've killed over 90 in total, it said. And I'm just like, can we get some of those kills? Like, please? Well, you know what's funny? Think back to episode six. They said there were 150 of them. Well, they were obviously wrong. Like, the adults can't count. <laughs> when they say 25, they really need three. They kill three. The numbering system has completely changed. I should have thought of that. Uh, this this entire scene from start to finish, I like this is all nitpick stuff. This is nothing that truly like. I, I think it's important to define, you know, that I can nitpick all day and say like this doesn't make sense. This is a logical hiccup, but that's all, you know, in good fun. It doesn't usually like sink a show for me mm-hmm. unless it's something really, really egregious or something offensive. But not one moment of this entire scene made a lick of sense to me. Mm. It it didn't because. It turns out they're tracking the kill counts of all the individual Franxes. And they're doing this not just for the Plantation 13 kids, but for every Franks team everywhere. Because they compare the kill counts of the 13 members against the average of other teams across other plantations. You get, like, a nice little chart. For those of you who don't know at home, in my daytime job, I am a data analyst. So, let me analyse this data for you. This is all bollocks. (laughs) Every single bit of what happens in this scene is bollocks because <laughs> um, Hatchie, I finally learned his name. He's the crew cut man. Oh, is he, is he a bad cop son? Hatchie. Okay. He's a bad cop son, yeah. But he and Nana say, oh, uh, Chlorophytum, uh, that's uh, Mitsu and Ikuno's Franks, like referring to the pair of them, uh, your kill count is really low. You're slacking. And I was like, okay, right. Hatchie, sir, just stop for a second. <laughs> They're a team. Why does it matter about individual kill counts? Why is that important? They call it a parasite score, which sounds like a goofy concept from a really bad JRPG or shooter game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and and it, the more I thought about this, the the stupider it got. I could not stop thinking about this. So they take it to <laughs> task for it, and they say like, okay, you know, you need to up your kill. You're not hetero and- enough if you're not killing. While piloting. Yeah. <laughs> Be a man. And a lady. A nice, proper lady. And kill. Kill them all. Yeah, get get your kill count up. Like, I mean, okay, couple, many, many things, problems with this. First off, do you consider every Klaxosaur to be of the same value as far as the kill count goes? <laughs> oh, man. You're, you're going really granular. Because <laughs> the 25 that they killed, which is like um uh, a quarter, a quarter of their kill count are basically the stars from Super Mario Brothers 2. Yeah, which is non threatening little starfish they're, crawling around. Uh they're absolutely nothing. You can't yeah, that's come on. <laughs> that yeah. Does that mean that you know Strelizia only gets one point for destroying like the gigantic <laughs> giant platform? No no wait, no, it's worth the, two. Two. <laughs> it's worth okay, they give it two. Okay. Secondly, how can you compare kills across, you know, different encounters. You might only fight five Klaxosaurs one time. You stole my another. kill, you asshole. <laughs> I got the last I shot. <laughs> it really... 
Honestly, this this all reads out more like they're describing esports mm-hmm. than anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if 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 the thirteen kids were an esports team, this conversation would make sense. <laughs> but they're not playing StarCraft Two. I'm very sorry to say, or Warframe <laughs> for that matter. And I'm still not done. Uh, update update your your references. We're gonna sound too old almost. Fortnite. They're not playing okay. Fortnite. <laughs> they're not well to be fair fortnite is not a team game but it should still make oh, sense okay well what's a better one is league a better one yes because a lot of backstabbing and pissantry happens in <laughs> league and it's very toxic so it would actually fit this environment and these kids perfectly to a t but i'm still not done okay so the chart they show has a line that goes up very gradually and that's the average of any other team in the world and po- possibly possibly throughout history as well or the history of this project hmm well, the timeline has to be from when 13's group stars, because they were only inaugurated and had their first battle at the start of the series. Right. Well, I mean, well, what I mean is they could be charting, say, let's just call it year one of development of a squad. And yeah. you could, you know what I mean? And then you could measure it against all the year ones of squads over time. Yeah. So Hachi and Nana discuss this and they say it must be because of their simultaneous puberty and their teamwork that's caused them to get so many kills. Well, they, I don't think they say teamwork. They they say yeah simultaneous puberty and competitive spirit, those are the things okay. that he thought were going to be problems, but she believes are the contributing factors to their success. Okay, do you want to know what actually is the real contributing factors to their success? Strelizia. Yes, thank you. You'll make this this conclusion is bullshit. <laughs> Because they're assuming causality here when there's a more obvious factor right in front of them, which is that they got Strelizia on board. That, yeah. That's the nice variable that they've failed to highlight. <laughs> a nine. One of the nines is part of this squad. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Measure it against that. Remember that plot point? <laughs> Still hasn't come back up yet. No sign of mysterious blonde boy and mystery. I- I'm honestly, if he never turned up again in the anime, I would actually not be surprised. God damn it, I just I just took a sip of water. Oh, I, I always you, you're not wrong. It would be hilarious, but you're not wrong at all. <laughs> I keep watching I keep fast forwarding to the end of the credits just to make sure uh. there there's no like appearance of his again. But I guess he's off like making videos with Dr. Franks. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I mean so- unboxing videos. Get your mind out of the gutter. Uh, but then again, this is Dr. Frank, so we don't know what he's in, so I don't want to know what his specialties are. But, um, so the reason I bring all this up is apart from it being nitpicky, is this is the impetus for the events of the episode, because Mitsuru is not pulling his weight, apparently, in a manner that makes no sense, because this is the team effort. <laughs> in episode six, when the other Franks has killed the, you know, the Klaxosaurs all in one go, who got credit? Like, none of this makes any sense. It's a really stupid, stupid thing to have in a post-apocalyptic war for survival. If they wanted to do anything like an actual proper measure of this, I would go with time to kill. That might have been something. Or, I don't know, anything but like, you know, measuring it as if though it's a game of fucking Unreal <laughs> Tournament. Or just watch watch the fights. <laughs> oh, that's asking a bit much of them. That's asking a bit much of the else. I'm really honestly surprised, like, you know, that when the fight's going on, that Nana and Hachi aren't just playing poker up in the distance <laughs> or something. Yes, I rolled a five-star hero. Sweet. <laughs> Finally. Finally. Eyes on the screen. Eyes on the screen. They're fighting. 
Just for just for two seconds. Yep. Oh no, zero twos out there. Ah, uh, they're fine. Okay. Yep. Rolling again. <laughs> but this is the impetus for the entire episode, and it's so laughably weak. It's like I understand you giving Mitsuru shit for like you know not pulling his weight, perhaps. But for one, you need to you know have a legitimate reason for thinking that. Mm-hmm. And two, it might help if we, the audience, had seen that in previous episodes, like when I suggested maybe that he should have slipped up in episode six. Right. I mean, we've barely even seen a Chlorophyte do much fighting in the show proper at all. I, to, to be honest with you, like, a couple times on screen, I was like, what is that robot? Oh, it's Chlorophyte. Yeah. yeah, it's all well and good telling us that Mitsuru is not pulling his weight. But when you offer this half-baked explanation that makes no fucking sense and is actually contrary to, you know, teamwork, group cohesion, and common sense yeah well they they this they is, help this is stupid <laughs> they help underscore that point by um like the, it's a one-two punch right the numbers are the first punch and the second punch is the childhood fever and that's the other like he's oh. not pulling his weight you know because he's he's sick and he was taking those pills earlier but that was from his encounter with zero two we're unsure if now if what is related to what? Because apparently when he was nine years old, he got some kind of uh, injection that would up his... Oh, so now he's shooting up as well. Yeah, when, he, <laughs> when he was nine, he got the, the doctors gave him this serum that would increase his yellow blood cell count that would um, you know help him as a parasite. And this is the thing that was troubling people about hero when the techno cancer was around his yellow blood cell oh, count right. was really You're really right. really high like too high so he uh mitsuru got a boost from that at nine and he lived which is apparently something that only like 20 percent of those kids that get that shot do and now he's having something again like another sort of similar episode that they're calling the child fever and they're saying like, oh, it struck like sooner than usual or whatever. <laughs> and they they don't explain it at all. Like in any, it's just kind of a thing. I don't really. They've muddied the. They've really muddied the waters. If 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 he hadn't had his pill stuff and his quaaludes and, and, and <laughs> the word quaaludes always gets me uh, and been hospitalized uh, after the whole thing was zero two i feel like this would be a little bit clearer but like because he's been to the infirmary for different things and but they look really similar the symptoms i don't really know what to attribute to what and so it's yeah it's pretty murky yeah um they also don't really explain like how yellow blood cell count like makes you a better pilot at all like what does it techno babble my friend techno babble yeah, I've said it before, but uh, I don't know. Like, the thing is, though, is that this illness is actually a consequence and not the source of um, Mitsuru's discontent and general attitude. Like, if you grow up with a weak immune system and you're very sickly, it's understandable that you'd have a chip on your shoulder. But his chip is actually directed at Hero, as we've discovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we learn later more specifically why that is. But something I know I want to bring up very briefly, because I just found this chucklesome, was... Uh, the Franks are now sent out to guard this excavation site because they're doing an S-planning thing. A splanning. Splanning. What is a splanning, you might ask? Doesn't matter. We're not going to tell you. 
Uh, the fact that we don't get told this, by the way, means that when this site is attacked by a Klaxosaur later on, there's no stakes involved. There's no tension. I mean, there is tension behind what's happening with the characters inside the Franxes, although I again question the fact that they could be destroyed or not, because that's doesn't seem to be a thing. But it might have helped if we had some idea, at least as far as the audience were concerned, what they were actually there for to extract, what they were digging up. I mean, at this at this point, the only things I care about are like the interpersonal drama between the kids and the amount of care I have for that is starting to slip. And then like the just the history of the world and I, I want some closure on why things are the way they are. Like mm-hmm. I know that the current war and the the fights themselves, like I agree with you hundred percent. They don't feel like they mean anything. The stakes wise, it's just kind of I don't know. There there's not and, and there are super robot shows that are like this that where you know that the the protagonist is going to win. We talked about One Punch Man before. There's still ways to make that really interesting. Mm-hmm. And but but yeah, uh, I when when they're guarding and fighting, it's um I have to say, which is is very sad because I'm a super long time Super Robot fan, but like I kind of tune out a little bit, uh, or at least this... my attention kind of scales back as opposed to focusing on the dialogue. Yeah, this fight, though, um, to get a little bit of hair cells, I really actually liked it. But I liked it in kind of in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And it I, one throwaway line from Nana or Hachi in the control room where the kids can't hear it so that, you know, we can also maybe get the impression that the adults don't have their best interests in mind, which is a thing you can infer, but it's also would be nice, you know, 11 episodes in if we had some more concrete evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Um but a throwaway line of them saying why they're here and what exactly they're extracting would, you know, work. I mean, problematic as the fight was in episode six, I, I mentioned in length why it just simply didn't work for me. I at least understood the stakes were, that were at hand. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a city and they could all, you know, they've got to protect the city. Gosh, and back when it there. felt tense. <laughs> yeah. And in this, they're going to attack an excavation site that the workers abandoned pretty much immediately. So I'm like, okay, let the Klaxosaur have it. What possibly could be a value there that would be worth defending it over? Is is there a reason? It might help if we knew, but eh. then again, I think that both Itoshi and Kokoro probably have the same idea as me because they, like, the other Franks is right, are all online and standing guard. These two are shooting the breeze with Jenista turned off inside the cockpit. And I'm like, <laughs> guys, you, you could do this while standing guard just i just found it funny they weren't paying attention at all you could have literally given janista a giant wet willy and no one would have noticed (laughs) yeah i was just so perplexed by that honestly Uh oh all right we'll circle back to the fight in a moment um so so the child fever prompts nana to suggest a crazy idea Partner shuffle, everyone! Come on down! Uh, this, by the way, is following a... Um, the the excavation site is actually attacked by a couple of Klaxosaurs. Now, these are only, like, the tiny little headcrab ones. And, our, you know, Chlorophytum is about to, you know, engage, right. but then Mitsuruk passes out. Right, right. Yeah, he just kind of, like, falls mm-hmm. over, keels over. And then we cut away from the fight that we could have witnessed, but, well, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Just some starfish from Mario 2 that they, the ninja stars, they get bashed in. Yeah. No biggie. 
it didn't really matter, so whatever. But as uh, Doc as Doc was saying, though, uh, Mitsuru has a fever. And, well, the only cure is not more cowbell. No. Uh, he actually needs to, uh, you know, take a take a lie down for this one. Yeah. Ah. Yep. And uh, while he's lying down, it's time for the greatest show on earth, a partner swap. Welcome. Hi, how's it going, everybody? Yes. Here on Partner Swap, it's all about a swapping around your robot partner pilots. Are you tired of that needy big guy? Swap them. Are you tired of that a pushy uh, leader girl? Swap her. Do you want to do some girl on girl? Swap them. Swap them. Partner swap. It's the greatest. Coming to NBC this fall. So uh, she suggests this as an idea. She just she says, no, you, you don't have to, but it's an option. And I can see the wheels begin to turn in the heads of a couple of the pilots. So before they announce, you know, their intentions to swap partners or not, we get to see, like, there's a scene of Zero Two, like, kind of off to the side. And I thought you might appreciate this scene because it is at least calling back to a moment of note in a previous episode when Hero is like, hey, honey, what are you doing over here? Like, all by your lonesome. Remember how I told you? to talk to me and open up like let's do that like you appear something is, appears to be on your mind like take a load off and she's like nope <laughs> well let's just nah. get to know each other in the franks and that's it because yeah. talking about my emotions is a pain yeah i don't mind the idea of zero two not opening up at this point like there's history yeah. that we're not aware of but you can infer but this isn't. This is again much like it was in the previous episode, the C plot. So why even have it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Like they, they they don't have like a you know a thing after the events are of this episode are over where Hero and Zero Two say anything of real substance to each other. Like having seen what the others have gone through, it's just oh yeah. Do you remember that Zero Two's broody and all that? Just keep that in mind, folks. Keep it in mind. She's all over sure the place, be, which is the thing I be, like about her. Yeah. It, um, by the way, has she had the tests yet? Or nope. Not? She refused them. Did did she? I thought it was, wasn't made clear she had or hadn't. Well, she she said no when Nana said, let's get some tests. She said last episode that they made her uncomfortable or they were painful or something. And she said no and walked away. The thing I took away from that scene is that she just didn't get them. But I guess we'll find out. M- maybe. Maybe. I don't I don't know. The the whole thing about keeping Zero Two in the background for the past episodes, like, as I've said, I don't mind her being dialed back a little bit so she's not completely overshadowing the rest of the show. But drip feeding, like, these tiny little bits just feels like it's... They st- they stand out for feeling unnecessary. And I, I don't know. It feels... I feel like there should be a middle ground on this where maybe, you know, she reflects on the events of the episode, like, with the other characters and, like, maybe not even necessarily changes but more just at least offers some commentary on it. The most we get is a single lie at the end where she basically pulls the Mr. Burns, you're here forever thing with Hero. <laughs> Don't forget, you're here forever. Yeah. At the very end. At the very end, I'm like, and Hero has a look on his face when that <laughs> happens and he's like... Well, yeah, I mean, she's like, Don't worry, we won't be parted until the day we die. <laughs> like, that's just intentionally mean and like cryptic is not the right word but intentionally just morbid <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know what that's meant to be an aid of really like well i mean you know 
throughout the show, she has been saying that Squad 13 is destined to die. I think a three or four different episodes, she said that the same thing is going to happen to this squad that happened to the previous one. We're all going to die. And, um, you know, there's all sorts of rumors about, you know, people that pilot with Zero Two die. So she's seen a lot of death and it's clearly changed her or affected her at the very least. And uh, mm-hmm. it's on her mind. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. You know, could you, it could just be a toothache. All this could just be a toothache. <laughs> it really, it really could. Um, just to go back to the partner swap, I have a question. Yeah, this is partner swap. What's your question? Thanks, caller, for calling in. Hit me up with your question. <laughs> well, uh, well, uh, no, I'll not do the accent, but what I'll simply say is, if Mitsuri is the weak link here, how is swapping him around going to help in any way? Mm-hmm. Well, funny that you ask. Let's go to Kokoro. Kokoro, are you on the line? Yes, yes, I'm here. Tit, I just want to help him because he seems cute and I like him. And he seems like he needs my help. And I'm a nurturing type. <sighs> there you have it. Thanks, caller. This has been Partner Swap. If if the whole partner thing is a choice they can make, but Mitsuri is the one who's been identified as the weekly, why are they letting them pick it all? Like, mm, what if mm. Ikuno had not stuck her hand up? So I think it's important to remember that the the issue at play that they are trying to solve with partner swap 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 uh swap a partner swap is compatibility they are taking a chance that um shuffling a few of the pilots would create combinations with higher compatibility which will lead to uh better performance as parasites and better stats and all that jazz so it's not like a base like as you say, this is a, a team thing. This is about combinations of pilots. And so if the Mitsuru-Ikuno combination is doing poorly, then perhaps by shuffling the deck a little bit, you could get a combination, or ideally two other combinations, with higher compatibility and bring up those low those low numbers. So it's not just like a solely like a his, you know, you're adding his base numbers to this other base number it's like the combination will give you something greater than the sum of the the parts or perhaps even less as we saw with uh ichigo and hero like those two are very high performing pilots but you put them together the compatibility hits the floor it's not there um so that's yeah but the the whole reason this partner swap is instituted is because mitsuru you know is sick it's not anything to do with his compatibility. Right, but it's, well, his low score, they think that, uh, right, Does don't they think, like, his low score has to do with his, you know, they see the compatibility scores are lower? They Don't they show them? I believe that when, when she launches, with the last time they launch, before he falls over, they have low compatibility. But like you said, that might be because he's sick. I don't know, maybe they're attributing the sickness, like, or, or they're thinking... I don't fuck, man. Who the fuck knows? Like, I could guess and speculate all day, but who knows? The the way this is edited, the decision happens immediately after Nana visits him in the, you know, in the hospital room, in the in the medical room. Uh-huh. And when she, lo- when she looks on this little iPad thing, she sees that it's written down that he had the elixir injection. She mentions it. Right. So, like, swapping Mitsuru to another person, if his sickness is causing him to, you know... I mean, that's why... <laughs> that's why chlorophytes have stopped working because he passed out because he was ill 
it's nothing to do with, you know, kill counts or anything like that, which I've already asserted that is bullshit regardless. <laughs> but the, I guess maybe so, maybe that tells us something about what the illness is or what they think it is. I, maybe maybe it's born from low compatibility or incompatibility or, or growing unhappiness with your part. I mean, I, it's... It's nothing to do with Akuno, though. His, his hatred is towards Hero. That's true, but um, I guess you would assume that having a compatible partner would offset that in some way emotionally, like your companionship with them. But if it's not, I don't know. I don't know, man. Nothing nothing is tied explicitly together, so we're, we're left to kind of grope around in the dark for an answer. Because to me, if that just means that they're literally just transplanting the problem from one Franks to another if he were to be swapped out. I mean, funnily enough, he does nearly get Kokoro killed in this because yeah. of his attitude and the way he acts. Maybe something about him, maybe just something about him as an individual person needed to be shook up or changed. And perhaps like a shortcut to doing that was to put him with a different partner. You know, put people in different social situations is is a way to like kind of spark uh, changes in their life. Maybe yeah, is is what they were thinking. But like, it's I, I don't know. I'm only judging based off. I'm only reverse engineering their thinking based on the conclusion. So what happens right is that he gets. He's got a new partner, they go through a thing, and then he's all better and has no fever. Yeah. Well, why didn't they in that case force the swap? Why did they leave it open to choice? Why if none of them put their hands up? It wouldn't have solved the problem then. Who knows, man. I mean, I, again, I could theorize, but I just don't know. I basically think the adults are incompetent. <laughs> That's the honest truth of it. No, it's just the writers. <laughs> it's just the, the adults exist in the fictional world, and they're much more competent. But they can only say what the writers make them say. Yeah. I, in fact, if I were, like, there is actually a really neat conversation between Ikuno and Mitsuru when they're discussing, you know, what to do before the partner swap is announced, in which she calls him out. She calls him out on his attitude. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to mention that next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really like that, actually. It's a really nice conversation. Right. Yeah. She is exactly right. And there's some nice direction here as well. Like, when Zero Two, you know, has that minor spat with Hero and walks off, Mitsuru's watching. But yep. Ikuno then spots that and infers what his issue is that he's got this grudge against him. Mm-hmm. So I like that. There's, there's some nice direction, some nice drama in this little moment here. It's just, it's all wrapped in a, you know, a silver foil of bullshit that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Which is itself wrapped in another saran wrap of horseshit. It's a Matryoshka doll of nonsense. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So Yeah. But before the actual partner swap happens in which Kokoro um, puts her hand up, as we've alluded to before, to give Mitsuru a hand, uh, something else is brought up. Whew. Uh, Ikuno puts her hand up and says, Oh, Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, she wants to try a pistol on pistol in case of emergencies. And it ends up yeah. not working. And Ichigo sort of laughs it off. She's like, oh, I knew it wouldn't work. Uh, and Ikuno says, like, well, I was serious, implying that Ichigo wasn't, and she's clearly a little frustrated, and, you know, storms out of the locker to mm-hmm. have a, another confrontation with Mitsuru. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it couldn't, I, I suppose, like, I, my expectations for this were, I was sort of spoiled that it was going to happen uh, before I watched the episode. So I had low expectations for it and it met those because it didn't really do anything. And, you know, I mean, it's like the robots 
were the robots were made with someone by by someone or by someone's plural with a heteronormative worldview and mm-hmm. like i mean i think the show has is heavily signaling that ikno is gay that that she is a, a queer character here. i'm not so sure on that and well so this this is my feeling on it and mm-hmm. it's and i think well, i think it's also signaling that another character is at least by at most gay but like yeah I, th- I think that these feelings exist in the world they are just not the feelings that operate these giant robots and mm-hmm. that is um that is a shame and you know we could talk about whether or not this is the view of the civil fictional civilization or whether or not this is something like a normative claim that the writers are making it isn't the view of the f- fictional civilization, and I'll tell you why. Because Nana, when when Ikuno pitches this idea, oh right, well, but n- she's she doesn't, but she doesn't know everything. She's very far down the down the need to know chain. Really, Nana? Oh yeah, I don't think she knows that like ab- about the what whys and wherefores about uh, the history of the robots and what makes them tick and all that stuff. I feel like she's a middle management at best. What? <sighs> I just thought that her like reaction of the fact that she it came across like she had never ever heard the idea pitched in any context before. Yeah, I mean, which again that doesn't shock me. <laughs> that I don't know. There's so, there's something about the way that that came across that suggested to me that it isn't necessarily the view of the society, or maybe they just never considered it. And who knows? Maybe mm. that might lead into something later. Mm-hmm. But if that's the case, I do have to then think to myself, why didn't they then do anything more with this? As you've read, like as you summed up, you know they had the locker room scene, and then that's it. It doesn't come up again yet. Maybe, maybe future, but I'm doubtful. It, if I mean, it feels like <laughs> it, you know, honestly, when I was watching it, it felt like that the writers and director were like, "Look, we've gotten a billion messages and emails about this. We have to address it. Let's bring it up. Let's shove it aside and never talk about it again." <laughs> nice one let's pour petrol onto the fire Let, let's that'll yeah, put it out let's <laughs> exactly let's talk about why this isn't happening you know and may, maybe they're thinking like oh our show is not invalidating um you know lgbtq plus like feelings and relationships it's just like all about like the robots and what fuels the robots and in some ways, that could be seen as 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 bad or worse. I honestly have no. I I don't even know. It's not. It's mm. it's annoying, and like I just don't know that I have it in me to give a bunch of energy over to thinking about this particular issue in this show. I just don't know if it's uh, worth. I, it. <laughs> no, I, I I get you. It. I. The thing is right. If Ikuno is actually gay, if she is a lesbian. The show needs to actually do something with that. It needs to, you know, devote some time to how that makes her feel. That maybe she, you know, she does have a crush on Ichigo, but can't pilot with her. You know, maybe it might want to develop the whole... I mean, we kind of saw got this a little bit with Satoshi, even though he handled it really badly. That maybe, you know, the whole idea of validating, you know, their relationships is through the piloting and through no other method. But the show hasn't really covered that in any exhaustive detail. It's just there. I don't. I and, don't mind the character's sexuality not being 
huge, like the the hugest yes. part of who they are as a, as a character in a show. Yes. But in this, sh- but in this particular show, yes, you probably That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> you probably have to like do something with it more. Yeah. You know, I I think the signals are are have been there to show that like to to well I should say to make a to make a solid case um that she is especially in this world uh in which you know sex and sexuality and love like it's all foreign concepts that no one has any familiarity with and no one is teaching them about so of course she's going to kind of be fumbling around in the dark a little bit with her feelings and they all are you know and futoshi makes a goddamn hot mess of himself in this episode because of that bullshit yeah so i don't i don't know um yeah, I did, it was just I don't know, man. This is just it's just Frank's whatever. It was just Frank's. This is dumb. I did not expect them to do anything with it. I was surprised. I, I am surprised that they addressed it. But I think the only reason they addressed it is because they wanted to take Ikuda out of the picture, so they had to force a part of swap with Mitsuru. That's probably it. I mean, Ikuda's plan doesn't even make sense because if you have a case of a single stamen being out of action, you still lose the Franks as a result. You can only operate them with even numbered pairs of people, two, four, five, sorry, two, four, six, eight, ten. Sure. So it doesn't even make sense unless you then have two people out of action, two statements specifically. And I'm like, this is a fringe case. So, okay, fair play to Akuno for thinking of this. But also, the way she reacts when she's actually in the cockpit, like, if I wanted actual evidence to suggest that she was lesbian, why does she feel the same way as, I- as Ichigo then? Like, I'm getting nothing from this? What's. Well, uh, isn't it about the um i don't i don't understand what you're saying are you are you thinking that like the emotional feelings equate to the physical feedback and all the phenomena that would happen in the robot i don't know if that yeah, i'm not I, sure I, that's the case you know given uh, kokoro and futoshi seem to be doing fine ikono and um futoshi get along and do fine and then uh, a couple that do have strong feelings for each other uh each go and hero hero you know don't do so i i'm not i'm not talking about feelings i'm talking specifically just about sexuality separate from that well i don't i mean because 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 the robot doesn't work that way i'm not really sure what i don't get it we'll just have to wait and see why well why would they why would them not what basically they are they're trying to like perform an incompatible function on the robot and it doesn't work i'm not i don't see how that that proves or or is evidence that she is not gay i don't i don't understand i am not talking about the robot's function i'm talking about what she says right right there's so don't but the feeling aren't the feelings she's talking about the phenomena that you feel piloting the robot the the connection and all that stuff i don't know um i just don't get the impression that that's the case um, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Whether or not they then actually do anything with it, I don't know. Um, if they do, then I'm hoping it's something substantive and decent, but given the quality of the character episodes we've seen so far, including this one, <laughs> I'm not hopeful. Yeah. I'm really not. It's hard to be hopeful. <sighs> um, no. Well, it's like, it's like Mitsuru said at the very beginning of this <laughs> episode, actually. Uh, you know, put your hope in anything and you'll be betrayed, and I'm like, right on, Mitsuru. You got me there. Oh, boy. Ugh. Boy, oh, boy. So then... Partner swap is back, and it's time to actually swap your partners. Who wants to swap? Kokoro, you've raised your hand. Who do you want to be your new partner? 
It's Mitsuru! Oh, come on down, Mitsuru. Congratulations on your new partner. You have definitely done a partner swap. And now you're going on an all-expenses-paid vacation to Hawaii! That's right! And you get a lifetime supply of tuna fish! Tuna oh, fish, everyone. delicious tuna fish! Amazing. An hour from our sponsors. Um, I, Okay, I just want to say that I fucking called this shit. You can go back and you listen... Did. You did. To the episode. I knew that this was not... The meetings of Kokoro and Mitsuru in the greenhouse uh, from the first one were, were they were set up for something. They were not incidental. I just thought that the the way she was behaving toward him indicated interest. And it's an interest that grew. I don't know if she's attracted to the danger or if she, being the motherly one that she is sees i mean she says that what she feels for him isn't pity but but it seems like she does want to save him that a big part of it is she wants to that that she's reaching out because she wants to help him and do something for him yep fitoshi loses his shit over this but the, there's a couple uh, of issues with this not, i hate it uh, not just least of which is actually how he reacts but also how it's portrayed we we should mention that there was a promise made earlier in the show when they were guarding the uh, yes. the splant when splant. they were having a talk because they were just on standby and Fatoshi was you know pushing all of his dreams and desires onto Kokoro basically just yeah. like I love you isn't this great we're so great will you be my partner forever I love being your partner do you love being my partner I know you do I do how about we be partners forever let's do it do you promise do you promise huh do you promise Sh- sure yeah. yeah okay at that point unaware she was totally unaware that partner swap was a thing. Oh, we were, though. <laughs> yeah, because we, we knew I mean, the episode I'm, title. Well, I'm not, not even talking that. You you can't have him so blatantly put that on and then I think, oh, this is going to go wrong really quickly. I mean, yeah, you think, <laughs> like, you can think so that he'll obvious. die. Yeah, I was like, uh-oh, something's going to die. But yeah, I mean... Well, he, he said his side. For her, at that point, when she makes this promise, like, I mean, first of all, she's stuck in a cockpit with this guy, you know, who's, like, aggressively emoting at her and this is her partner like she thinks like this is it this is this is the one thing this partnership well you know she doesn't even consider the possibility i don't think that it could change uh because Mm -hmm. when the partnership swap is proposed it's kind of like a what this is a new thing like uh and we have seen in previous episode that kokoro's personality i mean she said so herself to the other girls in the boys versus girls episode i believe it was like that um you know she's admired other people that could stand up to authority and say no and or go against the grain make the unpopular decision in the face of group consensus because she's very much a go with the flow person like she can't do do that like standing up for herself she strikes me as a very anxious person she certainly avoids confrontation and doesn't go against the group at all and that's like the context for the appropriate context like for futoshi being upset i guess when like she says i want a partner swap with mitsuru yeah but there's a couple of problems with the way this is depicted i mean i i at some level understand that futoshi might feel a little betrayed by this i mean as much as we've said before about lacking the you know the words and the act to describe their feelings futoshi is similarly in that same boat i mean Cecily's his behavior is not great but he doesn't have any you know education on this this is not an excuse for his behavior, by the way. This is just a 
trying to come to an understanding. Totally one sided, like wish fulfilling, like just yeah. It it, ugh, it bothers me so much. It really, really does. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. But I do think that you know I'm not. I'm absolutely not defending him on this, but I can certainly see how he came to this way. It probably didn't help that also you know we recently had the episode in which Garo came out to Ichigo on his feelings, and he's probably you know thought, wait a minute, if he could do that. So can I. But he doesn't have anywhere near the level of tax that Goro has. In fact, I think actually in hindsight, Goro handled that really well. He did. He like, did. He, he did that. He did that sterlingly. And look, I mean, take, read the room. Like, take a hit. Like, the way she responds is classic, like, non-confrontational. I don't want to hurt you or hurt your feelings because it will put me in an anxiety-inducing situation. I don't want this confrontation, so I'll just say yes. Like, do you remember that time when... A couple of episodes ago, Futoshi turned beet red because he made some kind of confession, like, I've always loved you, or, like, I just love you, Kokoro, or whatever. And Mm -hmm. she just is like, (laughs) and that's it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, like, just listen to her. Like, try to, like, pick up on her signals and don't always be forcing your feelings down her throat, man. And you will see. It's not like we had an episode, three episodes prior, in which they actually discussed the fact that maybe she had taken into mm-hmm. account those feelings. Right? Oh, right, they did. Oh, well, fuck me. Yeah. Who'd have thought? I mean, she she should not have like. Well, should not is a strong word. Ideal. It's not ideal to break a promise you make to someone. I mean, anxiety can't be an excuse for bad behavior all the time. And I say this as someone who suffers from anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. B- but. That also puts me in a position where I feel nothing but empathy for someone who looks to be a very anxious person and wants to avoid high-octane, emotionally charged situations with this guy who's going to waggle creepy fingers at her and cry all over her. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The way this is portrayed with, well, for one, when Fusoshi is told this, his face goes white, and there's like that little like anime kind of bubble around his nose, like pop, and he just switches like that. <laughs> Is this meant to be taken as a joke? Are we meant to be mocking him for this? I mean, we are because his behavior is crap. He's, he has the wrong way of going about this. He's possessive, and it's really unhealthy and unhelpful for him to be this way. It's a good good word to use. Unhealthy, yes. Yeah, but at the same time, are we meant to be mocking him? Is that the the way the direction of this show wants us to feel about that? I mean, we should be disagreeing with his actions, no doubt about that. But we shouldn't also be laughing at it. I mean, also with then what Docs has described, which is the creepy fingers, we get a first-person view from Fatoshi, and he's waggling his fingers towards Kokoro, just like, I'm like, this in any other context would be a prelude to a sex offender. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not that... You shocked me with the, your language, but you're right. I'm, I'm not wrong. Like, if if he was actually walking towards her, I think he would have been about to grope her. Yeah. Or, or get too touchy-feely. So, how, like, we're not, it suggests to me we're not meant to sympathize with him at all. And I'm not saying that we should, you know, agree with his viewpoint or excuse his behavior. But there is, a you know, at least a minimum requirement for this stuff, which is to at least understand where they're coming from. But we're being told, nah, don't worry about that. It it doesn't work, in my opinion. It just makes him into a cartoon villain, basically. Like, he becomes... He becomes almost something like out of Charlie Brown. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, yeah. It's really hard. It's hard to be in his corner, you know? Yeah. 
here's the thing, right? I absolutely get Kokoro's desire to help Mitsuru out. That is fine. I think that's an admirable trait. I am of the opinion, however, that she should have, and maybe not necessarily having done this alone, maybe with, say, Ichigo with her as a third party, mm-hmm. but maybe if she had just sat down and told Futoshi why she was doing it. I mean, you said she's anxious, and okay, maybe that's why she wouldn't do it. But the problem is, is that this drama could... This is, again, like, if this is all happening in the vacuum, and if it was just high school stuff, it wouldn't, like, have high world stakes, you know. But we've seen that if characters are emotionally compromised, they can, you know because serious danger inside the Franks because they can't pilot them. Well, who's I I just don't know if there's anybody that is I mean, who's who's positioned themselves as someone she can trust and actually gives a shit about her. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I haven't really seen it. I mean, maybe maybe off-screen, you know, she's got relationships with some of the other girls or um and I yeah, ideally that would be that would be the the way to handle it. Yeah. It's just tough. I mean, she's not. She's not. I don't really see that she's getting support or help for her, her. Um, you know, her her mental health stuff. Actually, comes to think of it, I've just realized there is a scene after this happens in which Fitoshi's weeping into his pillow in the bedroom, and the boys are there talking to him, with the exception of Mitsuru. How come we don't get a similar scene with the girls? Do none of them have anything to say about um, Kokoro's decision, one way or the other? That's a good question. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm just saying that the problem with this and also with what happens with Mitsuru is that all of the drama in this episode could have been avoided if they just took five minutes to talk. Not the easiest thing. I'm not saying it's something that you would literally just go, hey, ho, let's talk about what just happened here, Skip. It's never that simple. But I think that if Kokoro is that motherly, as you say, it might behoove her to just try and at least explain it. Maybe not even necessarily succeed, but at least make an attempt at it. I guess. She doesn't even try. I mean, it's, it's hard. I mean, I know that some it it depends on the degree to which this um affects her her mental health and and her brain and her anxiety because i mean i can't really speak for all therapists but i know there are certain situations my therapist has told me to avoid and they might be situations where someone would be like no you should resolve this they said specifically my therapist didn't like until you're ready you don't force yourself to do it because it's just going to be an act of self-sabotage. And so mm-hmm. I I don't know. I mean, this I'm very like open to people saying that I'm reading too much into the character and the situation and everything here. And same same with me, that, by the way, I should clarify, folks. That's fine. But um but this is I mean, this is just I see it and I see it so clearly from my own subjective point of view, but but nonetheless, that's how I how I see it. So um That's fair. I'm totally in her corner on this. <laughs> I, I and I think like yeah I mean just look at look at how the guy has responded <laughs> responded yeah. to this stuff and ha- you know we've seen him and like I he just doesn't strike me as someone who's he's gonna be like okay yeah sure we can have a reasonable talk where we walk away with despite hurt feelings like we can be adults about this or we can be mature about this rather I uh, yeah I I don't think your interpretation is invalid I think it's a fair one and if that's the way that well. If Franks actually took some time to explore Kokoro's mental health issues, that would be very welcome. Although, I, again, don't trust it to do that with any sort of definite <laughs> subtlety. I honestly, like, I don't, I wouldn't trust Franks, you know, handle the, you know, dinner table politics they had previously. Like, if it tried to have some sort of seed about passing the salt across, it would still fuck yeah, it up somehow. Exactly, wouldn't, you wouldn't trust it to, like, to brush its own teeth. No, exactly. But here's the thing, right? I think that, broadly speaking... A lot of the characters in this episode are assholes. 
But with Kokoro, I think that she just needs to do some damage mitigation if she could, yeah. or at least attempt sure. to. I don't disagree with her decision at all. I think it's actually very admirable of her to go out of her way to help someone who otherwise I think is generally speaking, dislikes. Yeah. I don't think people particularly care for Mitsu. I certainly haven't cared for him before now. I don't really care care for him after the fact either. <laughs> well, I also think that there might be there might be something of an attraction there. It, it wouldn't shock me if you have a a person who in this I'll use your word again, unhealthy situation that all these kids are in, really. Conflating nurturing caregiver caregiver feelings and romantic feelings. Yeah. That it, it yeah. happens to people in in health, healthier situations all the time. And yeah. it might not even be conflation. I mean, maybe she just is into him. I but or like or it could be it could totally be the caregiver. But it's hard to say at this point. So in some ways she's yeah. a bit of a closed book, Kokoro. It's hard to see past the veneer of gentle motherly type that she projects. Yeah. The only open book element as far as she's concerned is the one she picks up at the beach. Indeed. Indeed. So yes, there's the scene in which Fatoshi cries into his pillow as the boys fail to comfort him. I mean, Zorame outright says, bro, you fat. I <laughs> know, <laughs> he's just like, what did I do wrong? And he's like, um, you know, he's like, I did everything for her. And Zorame is like, well, maybe that's part of the problem. You know, maybe yeah. back your needy ass up. <laughs> and like, yeah, don't take don't take loaves of bread to bed exactly. with you. You were cheating on her with Dochan. <laughs> Why were you doing that? Why were you cheating on her with Dochan? Yeah, look at it this way: now, now you can fully commit to a happy relationship with Dochan. Yeah, imagine the Jerry Springer episode of that. <laughs> My Frank's partner cheated on me with a loaf of bread. That would be the title at the bottom. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. The Do- Dochan takes the lie detector test. <laughs> if Dochan and Fotoshi had a kid, it would be the Pillsbury Doughboy. Oh my god. I'm taking this too far now. I'll stop. I'll stop. So, this scene. There are two things I want to know that I found amusing in this. Uh, this is not really a nitpick as such. I just found it funny that Mitsuru said it. But Mitsuru comes past the door and Fotoshi's about to beat Zorame half to death. Because of his comments. Yeah. And like Fitoshi says, you don't care, blah, 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 blah. Like, and Mitsuru says, what does it matter who we're partnered with? And I just thought, well, yes, unless the partner you want to be with happens to, you know, be zero two, in which case it very much does matter, Mitsuru. I mean, it's not like, you know, she's incredibly dangerous to pilot with if you're not an unusual person like Hero or anything. I mean, you've never had that experience, have you? <laughs> oh, right. You did. She almost left you, you know, like as a withered skeleton, like you just drank out of the wrong chalice for <laughs> the last crusade. Yep. You've gone hollow, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's not a criticism of the writing or anything. I just found it funny that he was the one who would say that. Yeah. Given that he's the only the only other time prior since we saw a partner swap uh huh, and he, yeah, he desperately. Maybe that's why he's now so down on the idea and doesn't care. Uh, yeah. Or you know, um, he's cl- he's clearly pretty like spiraling into like depression. Maybe some self destructive behavior happening. Yeah, Hero, of course, says you know the other main like interpersonal drama conflict business of this episode. Hero jumps out and says. Try to understand how Fatoshi feels, please, Mitsuru. Like, not asking you to warm up to him, but just understand. And we get the Arthur moment, you know, the clenched fist. Like, 
<laughs> you can't say that, hero. You of all people don't understand. Man, and there are some heavy... This is the first... This is like... There's two super heavy-handed parallels, and that's the first one. <laughs> yeah. The the thing is, right, with that line, I... <laughs> Mitsuru is referring to something in the past that is elaborated on later in the episode, but I also read it because this part of the swap thing, there was no way on God's green earth anyone was going to swap him with Zero Two. So it's all well and good for heroes to be saying, <laughs> you know... Think of how people feel uh, <laughs> when he's by default protected from this happening because no one else can partner with her without dying a horrible death. <laughs> I hadn't considered that. <laughs> Once again, Hero proves himself incapable of empathizing with people properly, even though that is his supposed character trait. Whoop de fuck did he do? I think he also, you know, says there, there to Fatoshi something in what felt like a really condescending way while he lay mm-hmm. on the floor. Yeah, he like smiles down at him. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I'll allow you to remain in a, <laughs> in a heap on yeah. the floor. Do you, and then I think at one point, Fatoshi says, do you think I'm pathetic? And I was just like, yes, I'll take that question for 10 <laughs> points. Yeah, you just, come on, man, pull yourself together. Uh, now he's, I don't even know if, he says he's in love. It's so hard to say because, like, I mean, he's he's infatuated with her, clearly, but, like... That's an excellent choice of word for it. It was such a one-way street, uh, their their mm. thing. I mean, she was... Just didn't really see her reciprocating too much. So, yeah, the object of his uh, of his fascination is, is moving on, and it's hard for him to take. <sighs> uh-huh. And he uh, meets her, who walks away from that wonderful uh, meeting... To the greenhouse where Kokoro is spinning around and dancing and singing and looks like a girl in love, perhaps. A girl, a happy, uh, yes, very happy. This is, this is, I think, a piece of evidence I would submit if I were making the case that she actually likes this kid, Mitsuru, beyond wanting to help him. Uh, or, or even, or even the, conf- or even conflating the two, you know, she just seems, She's just done the partner swap, and she's in the greenhouse, and she's, you know, doing a dance. When's the last time you've seen her do a dance? <laughs> Wasn't she playing mother with the doll, though? That's why I took it to be. Oh, maybe so. Her. Maybe so. I didn't I didn't see. Because she had the doll. Uh-huh. Um, where she got the doll from, by the way, I don't know. I'm going to guess it was a gift from the previous episode. That's the thing that would make most oh, sense. Oh, maybe so. Yeah. Wasn't it? Didn't she? I thought she found it at the nursery. No, she just got the book at the nursery. Okay. Okay. That's the only thing she came back with. Oh, before you say though, oh, okay. can I just say I really appreciate the animation where Mitsu <laughs> comes in, she freaks out, she throws a doll in the air. Yes, that was really nice. It I was like good. That. It was a good like you freaked me out by abruptly opening that door moment. <laughs> there's, there's your Sakuga, folks. Yes, yes, agreed. So, yeah, why aren't people having babies anymore? She asks the boy that she likes, uh, and he says that. Well, just look at the adults, man. We don't really need each other to live anymore. People can live by themselves on their own just fine. And the conversation doesn't really get to go much farther than that because they have to scramble to fight Klaxosaurus. Yeah. Poor Ikuno uh, stuck with Futoshi. God, poor girl. This episode failed with Ichigo to, to get that off the ground. In my opinion, has a thing for her. Uh, was stuck piloting with Mitsuru, a person that 
there's some enmity between the two, but it feels like they at least understand each other. And now she's piloting with this fucker. Ugh. I, I had to say, like, when I saw the game preps, like, like, Fisoshi, like, says, Mitsuru, you better promise to look after Kokoro. Oh my god. The jilted lover is, like, just, I mean, come on, man. Decisions have been made, move on. Please stop. <laughs> I don't mind him asking that in some sense because of the fact that it seems to imply at least he's accepted the idea on some level. Like, he's not, like, shoving him aside and going in the cockpit with her. I would have preferred going... it to happen over the comm or something and not him, like, you know, doing the bully walk up to him. <laughs> yes, but the... he's turning into the bulk of this show, actually, comes to <laughs> think of it. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, every time Fatoshi comes on screen now, I'm just going to hear the Bulk and Skull feed play in my head. <laughs> but no, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I mean, it's not a bad thing to want someone, you know, to be protected in a, a combat situation. He's going about it probably the wrong sure, way. Sure, sure. I mean, and this and this one time is okay. Like, after the fight is just super irritating. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I think Mr. O did have some sort of uh, re- repercussion coming, but we'll ex- I'll explain why. I sure. That no, that's you're right. No, you're you're accurate. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, Mitsuru just says, promise? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you. <laughs> eat shit. Eat shit, dough boy. I don't care. <laughs> he, like, has a little bit of a, like, uh, a, a badly characterized insane person moment. <laughs> He's just, like, yeah. laughing, like, promise. <laughs> Oh, ah, not, please! I, mean, <laughs> I could just see like it, like the camera slowly panning over to Zorame, making a like, "What the fuck is going on here?" Face. <laughs> Zorame's just there drinking a Capri Sun. The, like, God, who? I would not have predicted eleven episodes ago he would be my favorite character. <laughs> well, it, the thing is, though, Doc, we do learn later that Mitsuru had a promise broken when he was very young. So yep. I get actually why he says. Oh yeah, I know. I'm just talking about the acting and the way that yes, but no, but yeah, this is um. Yeah, he comes across as a bit joke. This is uh, this is leading up to the second like ham-fisted parallel. Uh, that yeah. his yeah his promise with young Hero was broken because Hero with the light faded from his eyes does not remember the promise that they made to pilot together. Ah, ah. So, I have a theory. Mitsuru went through some sort of procedure. Uh-huh. Who's to say that Hero at that point with the way his eyes look hadn't similarly been something had happened to him? I'm wondering, actually, if M- Hero was not born the way he was, but rather was changed at some point. Uh-huh. I have a feeling, and it's just a feeling, mind you, but I think it's just also because we see him with the adults, uh, like his, his minders. Like, he's just been brought back from somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I get the impression something else has happened to him in his youth. Because Goro notes before that Hero did change very suddenly. He says that before in the meeting room. So, something's gone down somewhere. Hmm. Maybe Hero was experimented on and that led to him being abnormal. I don't know. We'll find out at some point. If anything, I'd actually like that. Because, again, that would give us incentive to, you know, say, oh... The adults don't have their best interests in mind, and what that would mean for Hero to realize that he's been violated in such a way. That this thing was so important to him to pilot Franks that it was taken away from him because they were using him as a guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Again, that that's a fan theory, it's fan wank, but it'd be something to look forward to at least. Uh, but then again, Hero's attitude in general has also been pretty shite all the way through. <laughs> so I'm not entirely sure if Mitsuru's, you know, 
if be, you might think that this chip on his shoulder from being nine or whatever is unjustified, but the evidence does point to Hero being a bit of a twat. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I have to say, though, like, Misa is not helping here because they're about to go into battle, and as I've said before, being emotionally compromised mm-hmm. puts people at risk in the frag. So what has he just done? He's left Vitoshi a blubbering mess. So, nice one. Well, it's nothing he could do, but I mean... I mean, I guess, I guess he so could have... Yeah, I mean, I guess he could have said, I promise, or whatever, but, like... He did have to say anything. I don't he know. He just literally ignored him. Yeah. Like, well, I feel like Futoshi would have been a blubbering mess no matter what. Well, he didn't have to provoke it or exacerbate it. I know, I know. Th- I just... This is a... <laughs> I, this this drama stuff would be fine were it not for the fact they were going into a combat scenario in which their emotional state were actually but look, pivotal. Look at how many people you're asking to sacrifice their their well being for Futoshi's sake. If only Kokoro had talked to him, if only Mitsuru would would be kind to him. To, Futoshi just needs to man the fuck up <laughs> and like chill out. No, that's true. <laughs> like don't de- don't depend like depend on everyone. Like you know coddling you and making you happy and doing everything the right way for you because i mean they all have their own problems too yeah that's true that is actually quite accurate yeah you're, you're right you're right i mean indiv- so, in, on an individual basis i mean i see, see what you're saying it will be ideal if all that stuff happened but i just feel like you know on some level futoshi just needs to be responsible for his um yeah. behavior <laughs> i'm I'm just i'm just concerned in the context of the fact that this is you know leading into a battle in which you know they could very well end up well actually no i take that back because they've if we've had no evidence to suggest they could be in any danger any point so fuck that i take it all back <laughs> who cares <laughs> that's the thing i want to keep coming back to about this whole drama stuff is that it is interwoven with the fact that there is you know an incoming threat that needs to be dealt with and part of being a soldier is that you probably need to you know dial back this kind of stuff and put it aside you know cut the crap and maybe just take a bite or take a bullet, so to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. Deal with someone you don't like in order to get something done. Although then again, as I've said before about the sicker episode, what they're excavating, why it's important, what the stakes are is never explained to us. We don't get an impression at any point the Franks are in any real trouble. Like, the Klaxosaur at one point looks like it's going to step on Janista, and I'm like, so? So what? We've seen mm. Strelizia take, you know, a giant battering ram that was rocket-powered. And it didn't even dent the paintwork. <laughs> I mean, Delphinium got blown the fuck up by an explosion, <laughs> you know, powerful enough to make, you know, a football field-sized crater. Yeah. It didn't eat, again, dent the paintwork. Maybe this will be woven into the story. The fact that, like, you were never in any danger all along. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> this is all just a virtual reality nightmare. <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean me watching this show? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. That's right. If I, like, say computer reset, it just, like, stops or something, and then I can escape this nightmare. Uh, I'll be fair, though. I really like this battle. Um, I did, however, have a good chuckle at the fact that they said the Klaxosaur, which looks like an elephant, was moving at 80 kilometers per hour, but it's just casually, like, sauntering along on the screen. (laughs) Long strides. Long strides, Shadon. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I just, I just found it. I just chuckle because, yeah. Again, like the adults are not very good with <laughs> the numbers in general. <laughs> They're not. They're really not. So there's that. Oh, but this no. battle, this battle, I really, really liked. I actually think it's probably my favorite of the entire show, provided I discount the fact there's no stakes at hand or any real tension. But the way it yeah. feels and looks, I mean, that's the is fantastic. Yeah. 
I don't know, the first one still sticks out in my mind as particularly good. I like the teamwork element in this one when they finally get their shit together. Yeah, no, that was it was cool. It was a good fight. Um, I did enjoy yeah. it. Also, the Klaxosaur design. Um, this Klaxosaur has a unique trip trick up its sleeve, you see. It is actually multiple uh, smaller Klaxosaurs mm-hmm. forming a cohesive shape. Um, they, like, merge together into plating, and then when they're cut open, um, they reform the wound again, so it self-heals. And when they cut it off entirely, it forms a smaller Klaxosaurs on their own. And it can also make an evil crow face. That was sick, though. I, Evil crow I liked face. How, I liked how that looked. It did look it cool. Alien. It looked cool, and uh, it it reminded me of. Uh, well, you probably won't be surprised here. It reminded me of a Dark Souls enemy. <laughs> uh, it was also neat. The um, I guess it almost looked like a hand, but also a wing. Like when those the the arm kind of reached out towards the plantation. And it was stretching out, and you can see, like, the fingers were moving. Like, I really liked that shot and the way that moved. That was cool. That was before mm-hmm. Crowface appeared, though. Yeah. No, it, I really like the look of it. It looks very alien and very threatening. It didn't look goofy. It Like, when it's reaching out, like, there's something almost primal. It's like, it needs to get there. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're trying they're trying to stop it every turn, and they and it's just like, no, I want this. And the face is pretty ghastly as well. Crowface, although it is, it still looks brim to me. I like. Oh yeah, it. no, I loved it. Uh, I I liked. I thought the it was. Design. I thought it was really good. And I liked the gimmick it had as well that it couldn't be killed conventionally. Um, they had to come up with a different way to do it, and it makes sense because they suggest okay, if it's just a core of like claxosaurs around. Oh, sorry, a ball of claxosaurs around the core. If we blow it apart with an explosive, we can open up the core for an attack. I like that makes sense. I like that, and we, you know, we'll get to see Janista and uh, Clorophy some actually doing something for once, <laughs> rather than just being useless, <laughs> as they have been in every other episode. Yeah, of the game. yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, there are hangups among the team. They're going to stop that in the initial part. So yeah, I mean, when the battle finally gets started, like Zero Two goes off and attacks the Claxosaur immediately, and this actually made me realize that the girls have more control over the Franxes than I initially thought. I thought it was all entirely the butt handles that controlled it at first. They were just like the conduit to do that. Mm-hmm. But no, she's actually in charge until Hero literally pulls away. And I didn't realize that, but I thought that's mm. neat. And that actually now gives me more hope for the um, fated Delphinium Strelizia fight where the girls take over and like the guy's like, no, stop this. But they can't, of course. I'm hoping that still happens, by the way. That would be pretty cool. It would be cool. I would appreciate that. I don't have a super ton to say about the battle well, about what happens with the characters well about the characters i do but just the the fight itself like you said was good uh it was interesting like echo all that you said about the design work and the teamwork and so what happens with the characters is that mitsuru gives up he uh... just kind of logs off and is like look if anyone ever relies on me they'll be let down i'm nothing but incompetent and he, of course, feels this way because he was—he feels very inferior because a childhood promise that he put so much stock in, you know, he was betrayed on that front. And this is, again, terrifying to me as a parent, thinking about how these single, singular childhood memories and events shape, you know, people that we become. Yeah. I have to say, I'm just really surprised that no point did he challenge here on this. Like, I, I get that, you know... Again, it's difficult necessarily to talk about these things, but I just feel like a lot of this drama could have been resolved 
Or maybe not even resolve, but would make more sense if there at least was some attempt at talking or calling people out on their behavior. He's just let this stew for like seven years? Oh, he doesn't remember though. I mean, what do you, what more is there to say, I guess? Well, he could just ask. Like, we don't have a scene of like Mitsuru asking Hero, like, do you not remember the promise? And then going into detail and then maybe they could piece together that maybe Hero genuinely doesn't remember. Right. Well, you, sometimes I think people aren't interested in resolving their, their hatred and grudges and ill feelings no, at true. times. I think, I suppose, I mean, he's, yeah. He's clearly pretty wounded by all that and may just want to lean in and, and burrow into and feed on that anger. This is a total guess, <laughs> but uh, but he certainly does, like that event is the catalyst for him being cold and isolated and pushing other people away. Um, and it turns out, like I said, like, he actually feels super inferior and incompetent. And, you know, the new scores and the fever are compounding those feelings and so he's just like fuck it if you are in a robot with me you're fucked you're gonna be let down i'm always gonna let people down just like people have let me down there's self-fulfilling prophecy there because while i do not believe for a moment really from what we've seen the franks are any real danger kokoro is in there with him Mm -hmm. and lack of promise be damned or what if something does happen now it's on him for giving up yeah so this is not helping his case I mean, I do get that there's a bit of self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, like, everyone tells me I'm shit, so I might as well be shit. Right. That's a fi- that is a thing, absolutely, and I get that. But I t- I'm just saying, Mitsuru, you could probably try and, you know, make us empathize a little bit more if you just did simply throw up your hands and then leave both yourself and Kokoro to die. Or, bear in mind that Janista, because she is piloting now, is the only thing that can actually stop this, Franks. Mm-hmm. We're again back to similar situations before where the actions of one particular person nearly end up either getting them all killed getting the plantation blown up what i don't know yeah i did i i did not take kindly to this decision of his just to simply call it a day now okay fair enough fair enough they do bring him back around kokoro does bring him back around yeah it's fine yeah she <laughs> really puts herself out there too like and uh puts her life on the line as a gesture of trust what is the stampede mode or uh we don't know a lot but it's the the feral zero two mode remember when she was yeah she's the only person yeah why why even have that I, why even uh, have that as a feature you're asking the wrong guy oh <laughs> uh, i don't know i don't know maybe maybe in, in case um uh in case the logical brain dies, and then the emotional, feral, wild, untamed, bestial side, without reason, the woman can take over controlling. Is it meant to be an Ava callback? Because I'm fairly certain from what I remember of Ava that the robots, like, the faces do become more bestial if they, like, go get pushed too far. I think they're... No, those faces are always bestial. I thought they got oh, more they, bestial, They do, though. um... But I don't, it might be just in terms of like a pure design thing, but I really do think, I mean, I was being hyperbolic to a slight extent, but I really do think it's, it's there because the setup is like, you know, the, the woman in the cockpit is, you know, she gets to do the talking for the robot and she's doing uh, a lot of the work, but the, the men are acting as the brains and making the decisions because you saw in that episode Strelizia flying towards some, it, like, hurtling into battle. But Hero pulling back and saying, no, 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 we can't do this. And 
it's like mind and body were fighting and, and Zero Two was like, darling, don't hold me back. Let me at him. Let me at him. So whenever the rational decision-making center of of it is pulled out or goes down or whatever, then uh, the the pure kind of unrational part will will take over. And thankfully, I mean, th- that's a really, I feel like, obviously, like overly simplistic and kind of dumb setup and, and I'm being overly Only simplistic be about it. Yeah, I know. It's very silly and stupid and... But like, I'm, thankfully, he knocked her out of the the mode. He pushed her off the the controller area, out of the the saddle or whatever, and was appeared to be shaken and affected and grateful of her gesture uh, of of uh, of trust. Someone cares about him. Yeah, yeah. I think that humbled him a little bit, and uh, you know, he didn't know everything about the way the world worked and yes, yeah, someone cares about him and that's, that's nice and that's good. And, uh, mm-hmm. she told him to rely on others more and, uh, he initially laughed it off, but now I think, you know, he might make a, make a good try to do that. Yeah. And so, so he, the, the second heavy handed parallel I mentioned was he was talking about how his childhood promise was broken. You know, when he himself is like part of another promise being broken and that's, Kokoro's to Fatoshi. And mm-hmm. this is, I guess, important because this allows her to be in a position to say, like, hey, like, you know, yes, that's bad, but like these things happen. And we can't like let time stop for things like broken promises. Like we have to try to move on. And, you know, it's up to you whether or not you reconcile with Hero, but like these things are that life is just going to keep happening and you have to get it together and you have to accept and uh reconcile with yourself if no one else and 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 move forward and i think he hears that at least yeah i have a real issue with that whole this just happens the way she says that like you know that this will keep happening will promises i i'm not saying that you should never ever break promise that's nonsense like sometimes difficult decisions contrary to what you've told people previously have to be made and I do, in the end, think that Kokoro did a good thing by helping Mitsuru out this time, because certainly no one else seemed willing to do so. People, like, you know, have had a generally good idea that he's in a bad way, or, like, you know, he's being a miserable little shit, and that maybe people should help him. I mean, this is what I was saying before about numerous times we've seen him outside the group in the way that he has been positioned as far as theatre goes and drama. Mm-hmm. But I come back to what I said before, that Kokoro has not made any attempt to try and at least offer Fatoshi an explanation. I mean, making difficult decisions is all well and good, but then you might want to also follow through by doing other difficult things. This is something I actually forgot to mention in the Zorame thing, which I really wish I had, uh, which I'll say now. All of the kids here have some sort of notion of being like the adults. Zorame has his. Kokoro mentions we can't be perfect like the adults. Frank's actually could have had quite an interesting message here if it actually had the kids engage in more, you know, mature adult behavior like talking to Fatoshi for just a few minutes, Zorame talking with Miku, like as I said before, and coming up to be adults in their own way that's different from this perception that they've got in their heads somehow. We would have seen them grow up. They wouldn't have known or realised they're growing up and becoming the kind of adults that we would like to see that would be welcome, but it would be happening. But just Ricey offers, we're just going to keep hurting each other and we're not going to try and, you know, make amends and all that. Oh, I don't, I wouldn't say that I, I don't know if th- that, at least when I heard that line, I, I don't think that 
she was i don't think she was implying you know, given given the rest of what we've seen of her i don't think she's implying that we're all going to intentionally hurt each other and not not try to be better you know because she you know her whole message of saying these things happen is we have to like we have to move forward and and keep living our life and improve but like I mean, I, the way I read it is just she's just speaking to the inevitability of human interaction, that people are going to mm. let each other down. And yeah. that's that's all that I I took it. I mean, I, I do. I understand where you're coming from, though. Like we should just because it's going to happen doesn't mean we should try to avoid it or at least, you know, do some sort of damage control on this. Right. That's the that's the mature and sensible thing. See, that is the adult thing to do. And that's the key word here. These kids are obsessed with becoming adults, so if Frank's wants to have some sort of message about this, maybe it might want to start having them act like it a little bit. Well, think about what he needs to hear at that particular moment, though. Like, I don't think he needs to hear, we're going to keep striving for perfection. I think what he needs to hear is that no matter what is going to happen, like, no matter how hard we try, like, we're sometimes we're going to let each other down. Like, because he needs to learn to let go of this moment where his sort of idyllic... uh the way he liked to see things play out like this promise like was broken like he's got to learn to let go of that and so i think what he needs to hear right then is like you know guess what like life is going to hurt you we're going to hurt each other and we're not even going to mean it most of the time but it's going to happen i see where you're coming from i just think that i just feel really hung up on the fact that she just says it like this is going to keep happening but there's no goal in mind to try and get better. I'm not saying that, you know, that they can never be perfect and stop hurting each other or stop making mistakes. I actually prefer the idea that people always make mistakes, but they'll check themselves and they'll do what they can to correct and, you know, mitigate it where possible. But she outright knows that she betrayed Fitoshi's feelings. And again, I must stress, Fitoshi is absolutely in the wrong with his behavior and the way he covets her. But Kokoro is not in the clear on this either, in my opinion, with how she handled it. For someone who's so nurturing and motherly, she doesn't, again, I've, I've repeated myself, you know what I mean. Yeah, well, like I said, you know, it's, it can be different when you feel threatened. You don't want to nurture and, and mother your thing that's threatening you. Like, I, I guess, like, so if you're in a relationship with someone, and it could be for some length of time, and you uh, are unhappy for a while, and then you decide to leave, like, do you believe you owe the other person an explanation? I think that it depends on the context. And I think that, again, in the context that was here, just a simple two-minute thing of, I'm doing this to help meet through, that's it. Or maybe even just flat out telling him straight that you're being a creeper. <laughs> because this episode is meet through's episode, but so much of it also involves Kokoro and Fatoshi. Is there any, like, coda with them? You know, that maybe he reflects on his behavior and grows as a person? There isn't. No, that's... No. <laughs> this is part of why I came away from the episode feeling poorly about him. Yeah, I don't know. Mitsuru, at least, I feel like there's some, you know, the knot has come loose, so to speak, uh, within him regarding the, the, the promise and having someone put their life on the line for him and really trust him when it really, really mattered. And he did then promise uh, Futoshi that he would take care of her, and he took that punch from him because... As annoying as that fucking, you know, jilted lover behavior was on the part of Futoshi. And I mean, he didn't he didn't fucking know what happened in there. For all he knew, it could have been Kokoro at fault. But he just wanted to punch Mitsuru. Uh, so like, it, 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 and he took it because he knew, like, he or he, he felt that 
like he needed to start atoning for the way he had been behaving and thinking. Yeah. Well, he, he kind of deserved it because he gave up. If mm-hmm. Kokoro hadn't managed to intervene or get through to him, they would have both been dead. Yeah. I, yeah, that's why he, he took the punch, for sure. Yeah, so he deserved it. I just feel very hung up on the way all the characters interact in this. I, <laughs> I understand. I get you. It didn't ring true to you, maybe. No. it. I just think that if Franks is trying to, you know... What am I trying to say? Like, for me, like, the characters are going through changes here. They're going through struggles. But there's no real discussion between them of what it means. Like, there was a bit here with Mitsu and, you know, Kokoro. He doesn't ever try and talk it out with Hero, though. I, I know the conversation... God, I'm speaking to my experience here. I know the conversation in which you have to confront people about their behavior is, is difficult. But maybe these things should start happening. They're kind of going round this the wrong way. <laughs> like, this thing with Hero is not resolved, and... I mean, bear in mind what we saw of the eyes thing. Could he not see that as well? Could he not take a hint that maybe something was up? Could he not just take five minutes to go and, you know, say, you're full of shit for what you did to me previously? And then maybe, you know, actually think about why Hero might not remember it? Or just say, like, Hero's like, no, dude, really, I don't remember. I genuinely do not remember a thing for, like, the whole day that that was there. And then Mitsu's like, oh, wait, what? Or with Kokoro, again, I'm not asking that she forgive Vitoshi. I'm not asking that... I'm not. I'm definitely not defending his behavior. I don't want to be mistaken on this. I think that he's an absolute fucking creeper. But this is in the environment in which they are soldiers in the war and about to be called into battle at any minute. So maybe giving him something to just, you know, say, all right, look, I'm doing this for this particular reason because I want to help Mitsu out. Just simply that. Might be a good idea when it puts their lives on the line. Well, so they are kids, and they have very little guidance on what their feelings are, much less like how to deal with them. No, no parental figures, and some of this could be attributed to cultural differences, and and you know, perhaps the the act of open expression of feeling is maybe reserved for certain certain moments, or at least like not, you know. You're not like constantly emoting or unloading on each other. Maybe kind of keep keep those things in your heart and mind and mull them over. Try to understand them. You know, maybe there's some self-reliance happening there. I mean, I think, you know, I'm generalizing here, but I think that those elements are um, in the traditional culture of Japan. Um, more so than at least like current culture is here in America and UK. Um, so that, I mean, that's like part of it. Um, there have been examples of Japan though, or Japanese media very recently that have had kids of an age of similar to those or younger actually thrash things out of each other and go all in. We only just discussed Persona 4 the other week, for example. Then there's Scum's Wish. Like the modern, like maybe it is a very traditional view, but in that case, why is it so old fashioned in this way? The, the real entertainment of drama, character drama, in my opinion, is when people thrash things out. And I'm not saying that they need to have, like, you know, a full mature adult conversation here, but I at least would like, you know, the characters to start advancing a little bit. I mean, Mitsuru's now just dealt with this thing, and it's no longer going to be a factor anymore, much the same as Hero's techno cancer here. <laughs> he, yeah, he does say, and then the fever never troubled me again. <laughs> like, great, fantastic. So what happens next? Is this going to have any ongoing effects on his character? I hope so. I, I doubt it. I'm very doubtful at this point. 
Zoramay's stuff has not come up again. Well, it's only been an episode, and it wasn't about Zoramay, so I wouldn't... No, that's true. No, that's true. Okay, well, maybe more Garo stuff. I mean, you would have thought maybe Garo could have offered some insights for Toshi about, you know, coming out with your feelings and how to handle them. No, that doesn't happen. Yeah. I'm just very yeah, frustrated. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> clearly, the culture is just different. <clears throat> the the it, If nowhere else, than there in the show. Like, it's not as um, communal and sherry. I suppose maybe I'm just expecting too much. Well, yes. <laughs> I think that's the case with this show. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't deny that that is in fact true. Mm-hmm. So uh, how did you rate this, the show, my friend? This episode, uh, I mean. I'm going to give it two and a half crow faces out of five. All right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would have given it lower, but I like the robot stuff at the end mm-hmm. enough that it kind of elevates it a little bit. But it's just this whole thing, like the, the the contrivances, the characters acting like dicks to each other unnecessarily, in my opinion. Like both from both sides. Don't get me wrong. I, I everyone's at fault here. Even Hero, briefly, when he makes his fucking comment, like you know that <laughs> it's okay. Think about how he feels about a partner swap. Like yeah, you don't have to swap partners. All oh, you piece of shit. You're fucking blessed. <laughs> You hit the jackpot. <laughs> you've got the best franks of the lot, mm-hmm. and you've got a you've got a girl who dotes on you something fierce for reasons that will forever elude me. Yeah, you've you've won the lottery here, pal. <laughs> and and by merit of hers and your unique condition, you can't swap out. No one can swap out for you. So shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> I, but I don't know. I think maybe because I've been spoiled by seeing stuff like Scum's Wish, where people like mm-hmm. where they had very intimate, messy things going on that actually speak to you know to character relationships and struggles with growing up. I mean, in Scum's Wish and in and in Persona Four, like there were no real parental figures helping them out. They were sourcing shit That's out, true. out That's true. amongst the yeah amongst themselves. Yeah, accurate. Th- those did take place in our world, though. I don't know. I just, you know what? I stop. I'm not even. A, why am I even trying to rationalize and excuse this? They should speak to each other about this stuff. It would be nice. Uh, I am gonna give the show three jilted lovers out of five. Uh, I because yeah, fuck you, Fatosha. I did enjoy. Um, I did enjoy the character moments in this episode, in spite of myself. Um, it's funny we're kind of the, the exact opposite reaction because the robot fight didn't do a lot for me as I stated, because, like, the stakes were just, they're just, I, I need tension to return to those. Either tension, yeah, tension or spectacle, and I'm getting neither. There wasn't really a spectacle. Did you not enjoy the, did you not enjoy the killing blow, though, where Strelizia, like, landed and then posed for a bit as the saw blew up? I thought that was pretty badass. I mean, it was cool. I guess it didn't make a lasting impression on me. It, it definitely could have been a lot better, though, in my opinion. If they had, again, just set up, even with a throwaway line of dialogue, what was so valuable about that place? Mm-hmm. Not even something the kids needed to know. Like, again, you could have just had them in the control room going, well, this artifact is of key importance to our fight against the Klaxosaurs. I'm, I'm beginning to come back around from... So, I was, like, originally thinking that the authors would dole out information... <laughs> and that they <laughs> and that they, they had an idea about what the world was and we would get that picture and then i sort of slowly was like no no like as the episodes went on we just kept not getting information now i'm coming back around to like this is half the show where like we are the the audience is 
being withheld from on way too much. We've gotten some stuff, but not nearly enough. And so I feel like I'm, 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 I'm daring to hope, I guess, that like that they're doing this on purpose because and they have this planned moment for when they're going to spring the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth upon us, which we will be able to handle. You need me on that wall. (laughs) Um, I have a question for you, Doc, actually, because this is something I want to predict for the next episode that we do. How likely do you think it is next episode that when we next see them pile the Franks, that Kokoro will be back in Janista with Fusoshi and they'll have never, ever mattered any of this stuff? Let me put it to you this way. If that happens, I don't know if I'll be able to do this stream of thought anymore. <laughs> There's, They can't do that. They cannot do that. I am pitching this only as a possibility because of the very fact that I think that it could happen. I am absolute agreement with you that it should not happen. I I think that I will quit. I I am in absolute agreement it should not happen. I think that maybe if it were to happen, it would happen much further down the line after maybe, you know, Futoshi has grown as a character, grown as a person, got his shit out of him, you know, detoxed and all that. But the fact is that Franks has, you know, failed so often to, you know, utilize its previous plot points that it really wouldn't surprise me if we just came back next episode and they would, she was just piloting in Janista again with Hitoshi. And the very fact that that's even plausible in my head that it would do that really, really scares me. I mean, uh... we have different writers for each, ep- for each episode, don't we? Mm-hmm. This is why we need a consistent vision with this. Well, that's common. You know, to, like, not the head writer is not going to write every episode, but... um. But the the head writer on this one actually wrote uh, episodes two, four, six, and eight, so he's been involved with a bunch of the scripts. Oh, so he's done most of the bad ones then. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Oh, that's not a surprise, is it? So, but but uh... in and and even the scripts that he doesn't pen, he will have oversight. So, I mean, it's the main thing. I'm not trying to agree or disagree with you. Like, there is clearly a lack of coherence happening in this project. It's just. It's always so hard to pin down what point in the process, you know, things are going wrong, point or points. Because it's yeah. such a committee thing, making anime. I mean, I do I do think the head writer and, and director, like the series director, are, should take some take some flack for sure. But uh, but I don't know, you know, who else? What else? It's there's so many things that I'm that I am dissatisfied with and I think could have been better about this this mm-hmm. show so but we yeah. we probably shouldn't go on any longer about it. yeah so folks we'll just leave it that i am actually going to put money down that we'll come back next episode and they might give it lip service at best but the kokoro will be back in janista with Fitoshi. that is the cynic in me talking i'm going in on it <sighs> i don't want to be right but i am putting my money you on burned it burned me so many times franks you betrayed me don't betray me again i'm putting my money on it all right. Well, if people want to put money on you, where do they find you on the internet? Well, you can find me at Shaded1010 on Twitter and at CuriousCat.me forward slash Shaded. Uh, I do accept, you know, non-denominated bills and all that. I do not accept checks or postal orders, though. Ah, this... All right, cancel that. Never mind. Uh, so, yes, you can find me at The Subtle Doctor on Twitter 
curiouscat.me slash the subtle doctor and someone today asked me on curious cat about dinosaurs please continue to do so uh yes or uh, dinosaurs or other other things that uh i care about or even things that i don't i'll happily answer and uh that's gonna do it for stream of thought this week it was a long one but uh we appreciate you sticking with us thank you very much for listening folks as much appreciated as always for sure and until next time embrace each other everyone to the ends of the universe (laughs) 